Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Yes, practice your good works, not so that people will say what a glorious person you are, but what a wonderful person God is. For the glory of God, if that is your motive, it's a good thing. But if you are practicing your worship, your righteous acts in order to be seen by other people, that's a bad thing. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. In his 33 years here on earth, Jesus encountered a whole bunch of different people. And do you know which ones bothered him the most? It wasn't the tax collectors, not the thieves or the adulterers. It was the religious phonies. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress explains why hypocrisy is such a serious offense to God. Now here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to sit across the table from Jesus for a cup of coffee? What do you think he might say to you? Would he get right to the point? Well, those are questions that we are tackling in our teaching series called 18 Minutes with Jesus. It's also the theme of a best-selling book I've written for you by the same title, 18 Minutes with Jesus, Straight Talk from the Savior About the Things That Matter Most. Without a doubt, I believe that Jesus would get straight to the point with you and me. He'd likely address the issues that concern us, such as your fears about money, your endless pursuit of happiness, and your preoccupation, perhaps, with your enemies. Well, in my book, 18 Minutes with Jesus, I'll help you understand the value of Jesus' wisdom and how to apply what He said to your life right now. I genuinely believe that this may be the most life-impacting book you'll read in 2023, not because this book is based on my words, but it's based on the life-giving words of Jesus. To receive a copy of 18 Minutes with Jesus, just call or write or go online to ptv.org. I'm pleased to send one to your home when you include a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. As a matter of fact, when you respond today, I'll also send you the companion study guide. David and I will share more details about these time-limited offers later in the program. But right now, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. I want you to hear what Jesus said about engaging in worship. I titled today's message, Straight Talk About Your Worship. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 6 as we continue our study on the most famous sermon of all, the Sermon on the Mount, a series we're calling 18 Minutes with Jesus. And now, Jesus is going to turn to our attitudes about worship. And when it comes to worship, Jesus is going to address our attitudes and actions in three key expressions of worship, giving, praying, and fasting. Today, we're going to look at what Jesus says about giving. First of all, in verse 1, he sounds a general warning against hypocrisy. He says, beware. Beware of what? Of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Nothing caused Jesus' stomach to churn anymore than fake believers. 
people who had only a veneer, a facade of Christianity that wasn't backed up by reality. Jesus described these people this way in Matthew 15, 8. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Did you know Jesus' most scathing uh, indictments were not against adulterers or murderers or drunkards. It was against religious hypocrites. Let me just say a word about the causes of hypocrisy. Why is it some people appear to be what in fact they aren't? Sometimes it's because the person is unsaved. Jesus addressed this issue of fake Christians, people who appear to be Christians. In his famous parable of the wheat and the tares in Matthew 13, 24 to 30, Jesus talked about a man who had a field and he planted wheat in it, but at night his enemies came in and planted tares, fake wheat, that at first looks like wheat when it sprouts up, but it bears no fruit and it strangles out the real wheat. The Bible says, in the world today, there are genuine Christians and fake Christians. A second reason somebody may engage in hypocrisy is that they are a spiritually immature person. They're spiritually immature. Yes, they're saved, but they're stunted in their spiritual growth because they haven't practiced the truth. Paul addressed that spiritual immaturity in 1 Corinthians 3. Remember, he visited the church at Corinth, and then five years later, he wrote what we call 1 Corinthians. And in writing to them, he said in 1 Corinthians 3, 1, I, Paul, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as men of the flesh, as the infants in Christ. And he said, that's the problem with you Corinthian Christians. How did they become spiritually challenged? Why didn't they grow? The writer of Hebrews answers that in Hebrews 5, beginning in verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need for somebody to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk, not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is still an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Of course, one of the greatest dangers of hypocrisy is what it does to unbelievers who look at us. Christian writer Brennan Manon said, the greatest single cause of atheism today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. Now, I realize, I mean, people can misuse that. Uh, if you're not a believer in Christ today, believe me, complaining about hypocrites in the church is not going to get you into heaven one day. God's not going to be impressed by your complaint. When anybody complains to me, when I invite them to church and they say, oh, I can't go to church. There are too many hypocrites in the church. My first instinct is to say, well, come on, you'll feel right at home. Uh, I mean, the church isn't a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. None of us is perfect. We go to the grocery store in spite of hypocrites because we need the food, you know. Nevertheless, many Christians who act one way and profess another way of living are a detour for some people into heaven. Now, after denouncing hypocrisy in verse 1, he gives us an example of hypocrisy in worship. 
Remember, hypocrisy is either pretending to be something you're not or practicing your righteousness for the wrong motive to be seen by others. Now, look at what Jesus says. He's going to talk about giving. Verse 2, so when you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Now, when Jesus is talking about giving, he says, when you give to the poor, why does he talk about giving to the poor? We don't have a lot of time to get into this, but remember, under the Old Testament, during the Old Testament times, and even during the times Jesus lived, there was no social safety net by the government to take care of the poor like we have today, food stamps, other assistance. The poor were there, and one sign that a person was in a covenant relationship with God was they were generous to the poor. And that's why you find many verses in the Old Testament about being generous to the poor. Leviticus 25, 35. Now, in case a countryman of yours becomes poor and his means with regard to you falter, then you're to sustain him like a stranger or a sojourner that he may live with you. Or Proverbs 19, verse 17. One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. It was a way of showing you were in a right relationship with God to be generous to the poor. And certainly, we ought to still be generous to those that we come in contact with who have a need, and we have an ability to meet that need. But the Great Commission, Matthew 28, for the church today is not to go into all the world and feed the hungry. That's not what Jesus commanded us to do. We are not a sanctified social agency at the church. Our unique mission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's what God called us to do. But even as a church, the Bible's very clear that if we have fellow members who have a need, we need to meet that need. James 2, if a brother or sister that is, a fellow Christian is without clothing and in need of daily food. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet you don't give them what is necessary. What use is that? Even so, faith without works is a dead, useless faith. My point is, in the Old Testament and even in Jesus' day, giving was primarily done as a way to take care of those who are in physical need. Today in the New Testament, God's given the church a mandate, but we're to be generous toward those in the church who are poor. But the real point here is Jesus limited giving to the giving to the poor. That was an act of worship. Today, when we give, according to 1 Corinthians 16:2, on the first day of the week, set aside, when we give to God's work, as Acts 4 and 5 tells us to, laying it at the apostles' feet in the church for the propagation of the gospel, this is the instruction of how we are to give, whether it's to the poor or to the church. That's what Jesus is saying. And he's going to tell us, first of all, there's a wrong way to give. When you give to God, don't sound the trumpet, verse 2. What does he mean, don't sound a trumpet? Well, I think he was speaking, first of all, literally. The Pharisees carried around, many of them, a little silver trumpet. And when there was a big crowd and they thought they could, you know, attract some attention, they would blow that silver trumpet. And that was an immediate signal to those who were destitute 
the poor, the lame, the blind to gather around. And they would gather around that Pharisee blowing the trumpet. And once the Pharisee had a crowd, he would scatter money on them. And everybody could see that. Now, that's what Jesus was condemning. Literally, don't blow the trumpet. And we don't do that today, literally, but we do it figuratively. He's saying, when you give, don't toot your own horn. (laughs) You know, if you are doing something for the poor, working with Habitat for Humanity, building a house, don't take a selfie and put it on social media so that everybody knows what a spiritual, generous person you are. If you're giving a check to the church when the offering plate is passed, remember those offering plates? Don't put it face up so that everybody sees it. Or don't insist that if you give a gift, your name be chiseled on a building somewhere. By the way, I'm often asked, well, why do we have the names of people on buildings? I've been here 15 years. We've done a lot of building. I never recall once one person demanding that their name be put on a building in order to give a gift. We don't do that here. Instead, in most cases, I had to beg the person to allow us to put their name. They said, we don't want to forfeit our reward in heaven. I said, no, we're doing this because Romans 13, 7 says we are to honor those to whom honor is due. It's a way of inspiring other people to honor those who have a God-sized vision. But if somebody came and said, we'll give you X amount of dollars if you'll put our name somewhere, we're not going to do that because that violates the principle that is here. Don't blow the trumpet when you give. If you do give in order to be seen by others, look at verse two, you have your reward in full. That phrase reward in full is the Greek term apeko. It literally means paid in full. Yesterday we had a air conditioning guy come by the house to repair our air conditioner. When he finished, he gave a bill. I gave him the credit card. And when he had run the credit card, he stamped that bill with three red letters, paid in full. What did that mean? It meant he had no right to expect any more money from me. I had paid him exactly what was due him. And I'll tell you, I'm not gonna mail him another check Monday and another check next Monday. He's paid in full. If you give in order to be seen by others and receive applause for it, you have been paid in full. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, after explaining the wrong way to give, to be noticed by others, he explains the right way to give. Look at verses three and four. But when you do give, give to the poor. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. He's talking here about a magician's sleight of hand. You know, every good magician is really a master at distraction. He's able to get your attention with one hand over here to distract you from seeing what he's doing really in secret with the other hand. And Jesus is using that imagery here. He's saying, when you give... With one hand, focus people to God. Have them focus on the great God you serve so that they won't even notice what you're doing with your other hand, which is giving. Make the focus the glory of God. And if you do that, if your giving is in secret, your Father will reward you. 
No, in hypocritical giving, you can either pretend to give what you really haven't given. That's one way to be hypocritical. The other is to do it for the praise of others. I think about that couple, Ananias and Sapphira. They illustrate both those aspects of hypocritical giving. Remember, they pledged to give money they didn't actually give. They said, we're going to sell this real estate and give it all to the church. But they didn't give it all. They lied about what they were giving. And secondly, they did it for the wrong reason, to be praised by others. One commentator put it this way, they were not giving, but buying. They wanted the praise of men, and they paid for it. If you want men's praise for your giving, you can get it. Just make it public. Let everybody know what a generous person you are. But remember, once you've received that praise, you've been paid in full. On the other hand, if you give for the right reasons and give in secret, your father will reward you. How does he reward you? There are a lot of different ways God can reward you. When I was in high school, my very first job was working in a Christian bookstore. I'll never forget, I made $2.10 an hour. Um, That was the minimum wage. And after a few months, I'd accumulated $700 in my checking account. I'm going to tell you, I thought I was John D. Rockefeller. $700. I went around feeling good about my $700. At the same time, I was working as a volunteer in a little church north of here in McKinney, Texas. And during a Sunday evening service, the pastor shared his vision for a bus ministry for the church. He noted that there were hundreds of children within several blocks of the church who needed to hear the gospel, and they would have a bus ministry and bus them into the church. The only problem is to have a bus ministry, you need a bus, and the church didn't own any buses. So he encouraged people to pray about a sacrificial special gift to launch the bus ministry. Well, I took the challenge seriously, and I prayed to God asking how much I should give. And God said, all of it. Write a check for all of it, everything you have. I looked up there, my first instinct was, is there anybody else up there who can give me some direction? Because that can't be right. But I knew it was the voice of God. And I happily wrote the check, put it in the offering plate face down, (laughs) and gave the money. I learned two things from that experience. First of all, you can never outgive God. You just really can't outgive God. I gave that money that represented a lot of commodes I had had to clean, a lot of floor mopping that I had done. I gave that, went down to zero, and somehow, out of nowhere, I started getting invitations to play my accordion which is a miracle in itself. Uh, No, I mean, you know, all of a sudden people started getting married and asked me to play at their reception. You know, people started dying and I was asked to play at the funeral, you know, gatherings and Jews started getting bar mitzvahed and I did bar mitzvahs, you know. I mean, I was playing for everything and within a few months, I was back up to $700. Now, I'm not saying... God does that every time. God doesn't always reward us material. Sometimes we give and he gives us back. Sometimes we give and he just takes it. (laughs) But 
In this instance, he did that. And I thought that was such an amazing thing. You know, we had a um, Christian businesswoman in our church named Mary Crowley. And Mary used to wear a necklace around her neck, and it had a little small shovel on it and a larger shovel. And people would ask her, Mary, what, what is that? She said, that little shovel represents what I give to God. I shovel it up to heaven. And the big shovel represents what God gives to me in return. And then she would say with a smile, God has a bigger shovel than I do. God does many times reward us, maybe not materially, but he does reward us. I'm not trying to sound like a prosperity preacher. That doesn't mean rewards, means a Mercedes in every garage or he's going to put a million dollars in your bank account. But he promises to reward us. You can't outgive God. The second thing I learned from that experience is there is no joy greater than knowing you've been used for an eternal purpose. I mean, when I started seeing those kids coming to church, walking down the aisle, saved at vacation Bible school, I took real joy in that because I knew I'd played a part in it. C.S. Lewis said one time, whatever gift we give to God is immediately touched with immortality. Isn't that an interesting thing that what we do here in the few years God gives us on earth reverberates in the halls of heaven forever and ever. I don't say this this morning. I'm not preaching on this to get you to give any money. I'm saying to those of you who have given, and so many of you have given so generously through the years, you can rejoice in what you see happening. We hear it every day. People watching on Pathway to Victory who give their lives to Christ for the very first time. You have a part in that because of investing in God's kingdom's work. I think when Jesus said, your father will reward you, he wasn't primarily speaking materially. He was talking about the joy we receive from being a part of God's kingdom's purpose. And you know the best thing about God's gifts? They're not one-time gifts. When God rewards us, it's a gift that pays dividends year after year, day after day, for all eternity. That's what Paul had in mind, I think, when he wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one of us may be rewarded for what we've done in this life, in this body, whether it be good or worthless. It's such a joy to be joined together as ambassadors for Jesus Christ. God has given us the privilege of representing His cause to the world in an all-out effort to expand His kingdom. Remember that your generous gift to Pathway to Victory allows others, right here in your community and even around the world, to hear the life-changing truth of God's Word. And today, when you give, you're invited to request your copy of my best-selling book called 18 Minutes with Jesus. It's the one that parallels our current teaching series by the same title. But let's be perfectly clear. Your gift accomplishes far more than covering the cost of this book. By God's grace, the distribution of our radio and television program continues to increase. And with that increase comes the great opportunity to minister to more people worldwide. So please stand with me and Pathway to Victory so that we might reach as many people as possible with the truth of God 
using our dynamic radio, television, online, and print ministries. When you give, you'll be part of equipping Christians to live like Jesus in a dark and dying world. You will encourage people like Diane in Mississippi who wrote, Pastor Jeffress' Pathway to Victory has been a huge blessing in my life. This morning especially, I needed your message on living by faith. I'd been in a bit of a slump and lost focus for a little while. God used that message to refocus my spiritual eyes. What an incredible privilege the Lord has given us to keep piercing the darkness with the truth and life offered in God's Word. Together, we are making a difference. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. Today, when you give a generous gift to Pathway to Victory, you're invited to request a copy of the best-selling book from Dr. Jeffress called 18 Minutes with Jesus, along with the companion study guide. Here's the toll-free number to call, 866-999-2965, or visit ptv.org. Now, when you give an especially generous gift of $75 or more, we'll also include the complete 18 Minutes with Jesus teaching series on audio and video discs. Call 866-999-2965 or go online to ptv.org. If you'd prefer to send your request by mail, write to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. One more time, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. The Lord's Prayer is arguably the most famous and loved prayer in human history. But our familiarity with this prayer sometimes blinds us to the bigger principles it teaches us. Hear a message called Straight Talk About Your Prayer Life. That's Wednesday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.